Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. With the rise of generative AI, ChatGPT, and the increasing impact on various sectors, including banking, it's crucial to examine how these advancements are transforming the landscape, both for the better and for the worse. From exploring the impact of generative AI and customer experience and engagement, to discussing the ethical considerations and regulatory challenges, it is more important than ever to understand the transformative power of AI in banking. My guest on the Banking Transform podcast is Brian Romley, president of Multiplex. Brian aims to equip listeners with the knowledge and understanding need to embrace the promise and understand the perils of generative AI and ChatGPT while mitigating the associated risks. This is part one of a two-part series on generative AI. Be sure to listen to both parts. Generative AI has emerged as a groundbreaking technology empowering machines to go beyond mere analysis. From unveiling the secrets behind cutting-edge AI models to discussing the ethical considerations surrounding their usage, our guests can provide you with deep knowledge into the ever-evolving landscape of generative AI. So, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show again. You know, the last time you were on the show, we discussed the potential of voice banking. Boy, have things changed. So, before we begin, can you reintroduce yourself to our audience and share a little bit about your background? Well, Jim, uh, thank you for having me back. And it seems like decades ago since the last time we, we've had our conversation. Exactly. But I've been following you all this time, so it's like we've never separated. Yeah. So what is, uh, what is it that I do? I'm a researcher. I absolutely love technology. And uh, I'm, I'm also loving the convergence of humanity and technology and trying to understand better ways to piece it together so that we can... Uh, better coexist with uh, the technology that we're creating, particularly AI. Uh, that did not come about when I was younger because I thought technology would solve every problem in the universe. And now I realize that that was uh, youthful exuberance. I now realize that we need to have a simpatico with our technology in a way that is enhancing humanity, not uh, de-enhancing it. And so that has led me into all sorts of computer uh, you know, occupations. I, I, I started out as soldering hardware together as a kid. I started designing software. Some of the very earliest software I built were now we would call them expert systems. But back then I had the fantasy that I was creating the beginnings of AI. Uh, expert systems had great domain knowledge and would appear to be very smart in the very narrow domains that they were expert in. And so that was the Commodore 64 era, uh, so it's ancient times. And over the years, I've just grown with the technology. A lot of times I've put it on a shelf and did not bother my mental capacity with it because it stalled. Uh, technology t like this tends to stall at times and it requires uh, new thinking. And um, the, the very first time I really re-energized it, was in the early 2000s when I started seeing voice models start to become much more powerful in the underlying AI. And uh, that led us up to Alexa and Siri. And a lot of people got their first taste of what they believed was AI, but it was really not, it, it was a, a proto AI, uh, not that 
not that fascinating because you really needed to know what to ask for. It couldn't figure out what you wanted. And um, then by um, the mid 2010s, uh, let's say 2010, we started seeing the large language model concept in generative uh, pre-trained uh, you know, transformers become very useful in trying to understand our, uh, our intents and our volitions. And those were originally used to try to decode language, but now we're decoding uh, what we're actually needing and wanting from uh, a prompt or a question. So that's when I started really diving into my garage lab and building uh, what I believe is the only thing on the planet like this, I call it the intelligence amplifier. And this is a concept of AI that is designed to amplify human intelligence. I actually turn AI on its ear, uh, intelligence amplification, as a way to pay homage to the fact that the intelligence is generated by the human and it's just being amplified by the uh, machine. And so that's where we are today. So, you know, when we look at generative AI, how is this different than the AI most of us were familiar with prior to November 30th of last year? Wow, great question, Jim. Um, the difference is one of scale. Uh, when we had very good domain models uh, within a silo of information, expert systems, they did appear to be very intelligent. But the problem is humans have a very nebulous uh, definition of what intelligence is. We have to see some kind of novelty or surprise coming from the output, something that was not necessarily expected that a machine would generate. And by the time we saw ChatGPT3 released, I think people were kind of like, yeah, that's good, but it's not really that good. When GPT-3 was released and, and there was an experiment uh, by a mass population, we started seeing incredible outputs that people did not expect. And they were shocked and awed is, is really what, what, what took place. And I wouldn't just say the average person. I would say across the entire technical world. Right. It, it, it was really ground zero for a lot of people. It was a little bit of a delay for me because I had I'd been working with these models from the moment they came out from the inception of OpenAI when Elon was with the company. Uh, but by the time ChatGPT was released, uh, I was pretty much blown away also. And I also realized that at, it was at that moment that people understood that the question was just as important as the answer. That's a great definition there, too, because, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of people go, nah, it wasn't all that good. But then you realize it's only as good as the question as you specify. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I've always I've always trained people to be what we call prompt engineers. And a lot of people feel like, oh, that's like a search engineer on Google. And it's like somebody who just puts in search terms. Actually, it's not. Um, the people who are most qualified to prompt AI are not technical people, are not people from the AI community, because they see the model through a different lens. The people who are I've found and, and corporations are finding, they're hiring these folks as soon as they are trained, are people with ling linguistics backgrounds and backgrounds in uh, even poetry, uh, ancient history, philosophy, psychology. Psychology plays a really big part in trying to elicit 
an elucidation out of a prompt that you may, this is what it really comes down to. AI knows things, but it doesn't know it knows things. And it's up to the human prompter to construct a question or a prompt in such a manner that it can get that information out of the AI. And some folks would rather say, well, in the future, the AI will get so good, it will understand what you're asking. That's simply not the case. Even with the uh, intelligence amplifiers that I have around me, these devices have been following me for the better part of 20 years with my context and live about 10 years. Uh, They cannot predict everything that I'm going to want, and they certainly can't predict what my question is going to be in a lot of cases. So I find it fascinating that somebody would think that prompt engineering or the ability to create a prompt will be, you know, unnecessary. In fact, if you see the press as we're recording about ChatGPT today, there is analysis by Stanford University that ChatGPT4 has gotten less responsive and less well-received in the questions that it's answering. In fact, in one case, in one series of questions, it dropped by 90% in its capability from the release day in back in March. So, you know, AI is a constant moving target and they're constantly changing it. And with those changes in a model, you have to change the way you prompt the system. And if you don't do that, you're going to get something entirely different. So, it's, you know, the difference between 3.5 and 4, where you said it, it actually dropped in its ability to answer questions, was that because it changed the way it interpreted what we were asking or some other reason? There's a lot of questions about that. One of the primary fundamental problems with, let's call it cloud-based AI, I'm a proponent of open source local AI for companies and for individuals. Clouds, cloud-based AI has to be all things to all people. And we always know that if we do all things to all people, we go to a restaurant that has every ingredient that has ever been made, the food's not going to be good if it's all mixed together. And that's what's going on with the large language models at major corporations, is that they have teams that, in fact, the teams are now larger than the groups that are working on actually advancing the AI to do things called alignment and safety. So the alignment and safety uh, teams are there to try to make AI safe and align to human values. It sounds really great. And one could go down an Orwellian hole of saying that sort of doublespeak. I'm not going to say that at this moment. It, you know, one can speculate. I am saying that they're, with their desire to try to make AI safe, they are taking away neurons that would otherwise be useful in other questions and therefore dumbing down AI. I've called it an AI lobotomy in a sense. And this is being brought about, brought about through a lot of mechanisms. One is most definitely political. Uh, another one is uh, you know, psychological. And another one is uh, fear of regulation. Uh, you know, So one would argue that regulation and po- political are tied together, but they're being dealt with differently. Now, my, my, my problem is if you can do a search, even in Google, for a particular subject, and you can get a result, AI should be able to answer exactly the same way. So what AI is trying to do today, uh, companies like OpenAI and Google, they're trying to limit it from even answering questions that somebody could pose to a search engine. And to me, that's sort of ridiculous and a fool's errand. Now, if it's on the dark web, which this AI was not trained on, and it produces results coming from the dark web, which is not really wholesome for society, 
I absolutely agree with that. But by by doing all of this work to make AI please everybody, they're ultimately going to please nobody. And that's where OpenAI is. And I also have another issue is, you know, when we're prompting an AI system in a cloud, our questions are going to be used in the training of that AI. And for the corporate people that are listening to us and the individuals that want some level of privacy, anything you ask AI and the results it generates is going to be used to build better models. And if you're sharing corporate data, it's a good chance that that corporate corporate data, if it's unique enough, will become part of a future model, no matter what the documentation says, there's no way of completely stopping that. So in a corporate setting, in a financial setting, in a banking setting, I'm 100% about developing your own local AI. Now, it's not going to be as powerful day one as chat GPT, but it will be trained on your data and only your company will have access to it if you don't put it in any network or any cloud. So these, these things come hand in hand. Safety, safety as far as what are the outputs and then safety on what's going into the AI, AI model that could be used in a way that um, you didn't intend. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. So, Brian, when I'm interacting with ChatGPT and I'm asking it questions, is it learning more about what I'm looking for so that I can maybe get a little bit shorter on my request? So right now, I ask it all kinds of things, but I ask it in very compartmentalized ways to get the results I want. But is it learned with regard to me over time or not really with regard to me, but with regard to the universe? Or both? That's a great question. Yeah, yeah, both. Uh, well, Jim, I think there is a couple of ways to look at this. Within, it, within every AI large language model system, there's something called a context window. The context window can be, at this point, there's one AI system that's 1 million tokens, which is about equivalent to 800,000 words. It's a very, very large context window. In fact, uh, the Great Gatsby was put into a AI model called Claude, which was Claude 100K, which is 100,000 uh, uh, tokens in a context window. And it was asked to write the next chapter of the Great Gatsby. And it wrote it constantly. I, I, I test it all the time on it because Great Gatsby is just small enough and the memory is just, there's enough space where you can have it give you a sort of a creative output based on the characters and the understanding of the storyline. So it's really interesting in that creative sense. And again, I, I, I call this creative and we can go down that path on what creativity is, what consciousness is, what intelligence is. All these things are going to have to be redefined but uh, or defined uh, more accurately. But in the case of us just prompting chat GPT, the context window is about five to 8,000 characters uh, according to how it's being used. So within that context window, that's the that's as much memory as you have before amnesia starts taking place. And it starts forgetting the original elements of the prompt. 
And this is why super prompting, which is you know what we advocate at promptengineer.university, we train people how to super prompt to become very powerful, uh, not only to maybe save your job and to make your job 10x more valuable because you now are standing on the shoulders of somebody stronger, but also maybe even just become a prompt engineer, uh, you know, out and, out and about, yeah, a new career. Um, and the people qualified for that are the least likely candidates, yeah. as I said before. So, um, so in the case of that context window, once you get past that limit, it's going to have this a vague, hazy rec- recognition that you asked a question before, before it just kind of stops. So that's today. What yeah. we do with local AI, uh, and we, we do this with a, a, a product, uh, it's an open source free product called GPT for All, is we create a local vector database and we feed our questions and answers back into the vector database. So it remembers that to remember that it actually, you actually asked that question before and remembers the context of that question. So slowly but surely it remembers who you are. And over time, if you feed all of your email, all of your all your communications, you know, um, all the podcasts you ever did, text speech to text, it will have a really good idea about what you think about the world and how you may answer a question. And this is part of uh, part of why uh, intelligence amplification is so powerful. So um, the, the the final part of this is what happens to your question when it goes up to these models. It's very nebulous. You do sign off that they will train their model based on your question answer pair. This is called fine tuning. Mm -hmm. So once you envelop the entire corpus of data that these models have taken, Llama is another model by uh, Facebook Meta, uh, and of course, uh, uh, OpenAI's model, and then you have Google's uh, models. Uh, Their particular training was taking essentially everything that was on the internet and then fine-tuning it on the question-answer pairs that it found on Twitter, that it found on uh, Facebook, that it found on Reddit, which is why you're seeing these companies closing the walls down to access uh, from large companies to understand that. Now, why is that important? Because just having the corpus of information is not enough how humans interact with that data has to be taught through fine tuning. So it's not built in to the models. And fine tuning is where we spend a lot of time with our corporate clients. We'll sit down and say, how much fine tuning do you want? Like we have an insurance client where we took all of their data, everything that was ever generated by that company was digitalized at one point. And we actually extended that digitalization. And that's part of a training that we're doing on a model. Now that model is not baked yet, meaning it's not fully right. trained on, on, uh, on GPUs, it's on a vector database. But even there, they're able to ask questions about the company that no single person or even group could have answered because it now knows everything about that company. Needless to say, I think anybody listening to me realizes that that model should never be on a cloud anywhere. It it, it has to be cut off from the world because anybody to hack that could severely jeopardize that company. And so I'm not here to scare people, but this is the direction it's going in. And so we're at a fork in the road. We've reached, I believe, peak cloud for AI before we start realizing our data is so valuable. 
and, and so when you're prompting AI and you're trying to answer those questions and you're trying to constrain the domain of information to a specific point, that's an art as much as it is a science. And a lot of times we have to create persona. So we have to create persona or, or an, a motif. This is part of super prompting. The persona shapes the way that question is going to be dealt with. I like using either a university professor persona, and I like creating a motif that you have to make a presentation to the UN about this discovery. So one might say, what are you doing here? That sounds like storytelling. I say test it out. You know, when you test it out, you start realizing exactly what it does. It forces the large language model to pick a neuron passageway through its neuronal connections that are much more constrained, much more laser targeted, and the elucidations are near genius level. Whereas if you ask a simple question, you're going to get a simple answer. Yeah. And a lot of people get yeah. mad and I say it's user user uh, operator error. So that's kind of where we're, where, we're, where we're coming from. So from the perspective of gathering information, learning through over time, is this where ChatGPT and AI in this sense can really impact customer experiences? In other words, let's say it was a financial institution and we want to build a database on an individual customer level on what they've asked, what the answers were, the dynamics of that relationship. Is it the future use of ChatGPT and generative AI where you can actually have individual customer communications, conversations that are retained and built over time? Jim, that is a brilliant question. Absolutely. In fact, I cannot imagine a future where that does not take place. Um, and again, it, it should all be done in the proper way with permissions. But the bespoke way that a financial organization could interact with their clients based upon enveloping all of the customer touching experiences and maybe real world experiences that they might garner from that customer. Again, I would tread carefully, but uh, people have a public persona. I would say that if you do it with care and you do it with dignity and permission by offering a value to the client, by understanding more of the dimension of the uh, milestones in life that that client is going through, your ability to finely tailor an output is phenomenal. And I believe that that's where we're going. And I believe the customer will find the value just by having an interaction with their financial GPT. Yeah. And because if you look at what frustrates customers right now, it's having to reinform the the financial institution or the airline or whatever it may be about what happened in the past because it's not easily accessible in today's world. But if I'm communicating about a challenge, a, a challenge I've had over time, just to take it on different flavors, ChatGPT understanding this journey makes it so that the results are much more valuable. And to your point, the value transfer makes it so there's less concern about privacy and security. Not that it doesn't matter, it still matters, but the concern level goes down because the value proposition has gone up. Absolutely, and and I would say every client is gonna be minimum 10X more valuable to an organization when AI is being utilized correctly. And, and I'm not just speaking of things that we know, but the things that we don't know. 
Um, I would imagine, let's look at it from this point of view. Let's imagine that within a corporation, every client has their own AI model that is distinctly their own and that we use a grand corporate AI to pull those models to try to find situations where the company can offer much higher value. My results in doing this, and we've been doing this quite a while, we've probably been doing it longer than anybody, and we do it as a crack team. We go in there, we establish models within corporations. We, you know, we don't have I, we don't have business cards that even say that we do this. I mean, it's it's all on recommendation. It's all on referral. I don't advertise it, but, you know, our schedule is packed with it. And we go in there and we just basically look at what they've been doing within the cloud. We take everything, every interaction from customer service that they have in the cloud. And we know the, the typical cloud providers that are out there. We put it in these models. And within hours, we're getting insights that nobody has seen. Um, I think before we started recording here, we're talking about some $14 million at one company that today just discovered uh, from the AI model that we just kind of threw together in six days. It's it's been six days of mostly taking desperate pieces of data and throwing it into a local vector database and running an open source local model and just quizzing it. And I, I can't even predict what kind of values we're going to see if every customer had a, a, a representation of AI that, that sits there. And again, doing it the right way. Right. The wrong way is, is a kind of the way that technology has been used thus far. Uh, the opaque, opaque algorithm that Google uses or that Netflix uses or Amazon. We're past those days. I think as people realize the power and the potential dangers of AI, the more transparent and the more inclusive you are with that client, hey, this is your AI. We're building it for you. This is going to know everything that you could possibly want to know about your financial profile. And maybe just your phase in life profile intermixed with that. And getting the client on board with that is going to be the trailblazing companies. And I don't care how old the company is. It's whether or not they take this mission. And frankly, it's a tough mission. I've sat down with some companies and it it took months of delays because of internal debates of, this is proprietary. We we don't want customers to know how we're using their data. And And I'm like, they're gonna know at some point. So let's just open the windows turn on the lights, let them see it, let them have access to it. And if they don't want it, turn it off. And then they just have a human operator that they interact with. And do a comparison, Mr. Client and Mrs. Client, and tell me whether you enjoy this relationship with this AI tool available or not available. So given that, is there a time when ChatGPT and generative AI can actually then prompt questions back to the customer. So let's say I'm calling up about a problem and it involves maybe credit card payments. And could ChatGPT or Generative AI ask me then, do you have balances and other financing or ask questions that can then make it so that the solution that's proposed is more overarching, better answer than would be just from the data that is currently 
under the roof of the financial institutions. Absolutely, Jim. Uh, this is this is going to be a phenomenal aspect of it. The interactivity of building a model that is really, uh, really concisely understanding where that person is. There's no two customers that are exactly alike. Uh, we, we've only done statistics in business because we had crude, crude tools. The laser wasn't invented yet. So we're using, you know, this big floodlight and everything's going to look the same. Now we have this laser that will be able to finely tune to the individual questions. And so it will prompt the individual based on activities. I mean, now how it manifests, it's up to the client. I mean, I have one client, we have an insurance company we're working for uh, with uh, that is similar to what we're talking about. Uh, and they are proposing using voice-enabled uh, dial-out systems to call the client or to text the client when they see something that they think is valuable for the individual. And not as an advertisement, but as a dialogue. Yeah, See, our exactly. future, advertising is over. Dialogues are the future. And those dialogues, if they're meaningful, if they're indistinguishable from a really, and again, I'm not, the dialogues that we need to create in this AI can't be corporate speak. It needs to be much closer. And the way we can get away with that in a corporate setting is that this is your personal AI. So it's going to be more like something on your shoulders saying, I think it's a good time that you consider dropping this particular card because it has a high interest rate and we can cut your payments down by $250 a month if we move your funds across this as a refinance. Things like that. Those those kind of things. We know this, Jim. We know people don't like talking about medical problems and financial problems with anybody. It's like it's like the hardest thing. It's like, oh, you know, even their doctors like, yeah, I got this. And like, well, no. Uh, and, and definitely medical, uh, you know, financial problems. And here's what we do know. The tests are already 100% clear. People would more want to disclose psychological issues, medical issues to a AI system that is dialoguing and interacting with them than any human being to a high percentile. It's like 78% to the 78th percentile. And this is done in three studies now across different universities. Uh, I, I'm proposing, I'm working with a, a university right now to do it with financial type of things. I'm expecting that to be higher. I'm expecting it to be to the 80th percentile. I'm thinking about that and going, again, if you continually ask the consumer or the small business, whatever it may be, are you okay sharing this? We only will use as much as they share. But the reality is, if you build more and more trust, I mean, it's kind of like the trust I have with Amazon and everybody has with Amazon. We pay Amazon every year to use our data to our benefit and makes our buying decisions easier. Well, in the same case in financial services or any industry, if it learns over time and it asks me questions that make it perform better, eventually I'm going to come to the realization that I want my financial institution or my my generative AI to understand that I have deposit accounts elsewhere, I have credit accounts elsewhere, what my internal challenges are emotionally with maybe the way the market's performing. All these things that can combine both universal perspectives, but also individual perspectives. And what's interesting about that is, again, and you keep on emphasizing in every single sentence, as long as it's used correctly, as long as it's built correctly. 
So with that in, in mind, what steps are being taken to address the consumer concerns regarding data privacy and protection and leveraging you know, AI to avoid biases in decision-making? Great question. Um, I would say that it's a double-edged sword. I think that what happens when it comes from a regulatory standpoint is that we have overly broad, overly potentially damaging regulation that could make the United States or any other country that is subscribing to overregulation fully incapable of competing on a grand scale with other countries that are making a more uh, decidedly metered approach. How can we make this better? I think financial institutions could lead in this. I believe that if they lead with open, transparent AI usage, that they will become the gold standard, which they should be, and how this technology can be deployed, and not just in financial, but in every other aspect. And I believe that industry, when doing it the right way, actually does a better job than regulatory. And the problem is there's a conservatism that comes from the financial industry that we know about, right, Jim? And, uh, and we, we're, we're always challenged with it when I was doing a lot of consulting and banking and payments. And, uh, you know, Apple Pay is coming, guys. Three years before it came, nobody would listen. I said, you know, this is your, this is your dog in, in the race. You can actually lead by this by shaping it the way you want. And uh, the conservatism held it back. This is another opportunity. There is absolutely no doubt that AI is going to become simpatico with individuals and in making their decisions financially. And I'm not saying this is going to bypass personal AI that's going to be making financial decisions. I'm saying there's a good chance that you're going to have multiple AIs that you're going to interact with, and maybe just your AI will interact with somebody else's AI. That's not an entirely a, a difficult reaction, even if they're just talking to each other over the internet or by a phone call, if, if you will. <clears throat> but if a financial institution could say, okay, we're going to embrace artificial intelligence to the betterment of our clients, and here is our declaration. Here's how we're going to use the data. The data is your data, it is not our data. You can take your data back at any moment, at any time, and we don't have your data any longer. Unfortunately, uh, some companies may not like that. I don't think there's any other way because that's where the regulation is going to go anyway. So take the higher ground, let people have control and ownership of their data, but give it to them in a way that is so valuable, so uh, delightful to interact with, like any other experience, make, the make it a delightful experience and so valuable that they would never want to leave you. So instead of using the stick, Keep the carrot and always just use the carrot. And that not only will that forestall draconian regulation, it would allow that company to be a beaming leader in an industry that's considered maybe a laggard in technology. But where else can it be applied better than in the financial realm where a lot of people have their finances, what I would say in a very disordered fashion, they're all over the place. Uh, even the most ordered person, I did studies over the, the years, I'm sure you know this, this from being in it so long, is that people's finances are all over the place. 
and there needs to be a consolidation. The idea of QuickBooks initially was to do that, and it did it to a certain level, but it reached its zenith, and we've never gotten past it. So do you see then the future of ChatGPT and generative AI with regard to customer experience being something that it becomes an evolving, let's call it brochureware or content that becomes very specific to that individual where you actually, as the learning process goes on, it will point you into a direction that is best for you in a more of a consultative um, perspective. Absolutely. And although it will not always be maximized for the highest profit to be garnered out of each individual, um, you're best to let this device, this software, this system normalize the relationship because if you are doing everything right, the value you're offering will make that person never, ever want to not have this capability because it's, a, it's, it's an investment. The investment in giving data to an AI platform is phenomenal because over time, it, it is, it's the stickiest thing you'll ever see. Right. There's nothing else, right? So what happens is net over time, and I can show this with some of my research and this statistically, net over time, if you do right by that client, they're going to make much more money. The company is going to make much more money. And their cost to maintain a customer is going to go through the floor because they're not going to need to acquire as many new customers as ferociously as they do today because it now is a, a struggle to, to just a percentage point different struggle with the top players. And this could be major double-digit percentages in, in capability. So with that in mind, and we're still so early in this whole process of evolution, are you familiar with any notable success stories or of banks or credit unions using generative AI and ChatGPT to improve maybe the customer experience, the engagement level, or even innovation? Uh, Jim, this is uh, wonderful. And it's, it's kind of depressing for me because a lot of companies have barred the use of AI within the company, specifically ChatGPT. Uh, for the valid reasons we talked about earlier, uh, are you giving out private information? What's the legal limits? Things of that nature. Um, that unfortunately threw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot of executives that contact me directly and they can't quite get to the sea level to open up the prospect of using AI outside from known vendors. The known vendors are taking their time utilizing the AI. These are the cloud providers. And of course, they are proposing AI from their perspective as a customer service tool, maybe as a way to replace employees. And I think that's the most foolish thing. AI should never be used to replace a single employee. AI should be used to empower employees to be 10 times, at very minimum, 7x more powerful. It's like a lever, right? The more you give this person the ability to have the leverage of standing on the shoulders of AI, the more powerful that individual becomes within the organization. And it's backward thinking that it's all about the costs the companies are experiencing. That's very, very short term. Because if you maintain that person and if you train them, and that's what we do at 
uh, promptengineer.university, is we train people to be empowered so that they can actually go out in the world and go to their managers, go to their executives, or executives go to other executives within their organizations and say, look what I discovered. And this is how I equate it. And we're old enough to remember some of this. The Apple II became popular for one primary reason. It was a thing called a spreadsheet. And later on, it became Lotus, but it was, uh, you know, we had multi-plan and we had all these different sort of spreadsheets. Now, the very first spreadsheet brought into companies was a guy hauling an apple under one arm and a monitor in the other arm and maybe a software box on their head and doing their job, their spreadsheet work in the company and taking their computer back home. The data processing departments of major corporations back when the Apple was taking off were, were absolutely rejecting the use of personal computers in the company. Everything had to go through the mainframe. And they saw the spreadsheet as a joke. They said, why would you want a spreadsheet? Uh, we'll, we'll, run, we'll do a job run on our Cobalt system and we'll get you back in about six days. Whereas a guy could play and a gal could play with numbers and see the differences. That was self-empowerment. Bring your own computer to the office. That was the early decade, first decade of the personal computer was the personal empowerment of that computer within the job. And luckily, a lot of very wise companies said, oh, what, what the heck? Let Joe or, or Lisa bring their computer in. As long as we're not paying for it, they can play with their spreadsheets. That fundamentally changed every single corporation in the world. This is a thousand times more powerful than the spreadsheet. And did we, did you, did we need to fire people who are accountants when the spreadsheet came, did, did, did an executive say, oh, I read an article that spreadsheets are going to make accountants redundant. Let's fire them all. It's just like the same thing of, oh, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that ChatGPT is going to cause you know, everybody to lose their job. Let's start firing. This is a knee-jerk reaction. The positive way to do this and the way your stock is going to take off is when the world realized you did not only did not fire anybody, you hired more people, and they now are an army empowered with the corporate data, the AI, and their ability to know how to use it in a safe, effective manner that is not dangerous to anybody. That story being put into the public markets, I'm not going to make a promise, but I know is going to raise the price of the stock. Whereas a story that I temporarily cut 5,000 jobs because AI replaced it, Good luck with that because one of your competitors is going to get the other story we just talked about and empowering people. So AI is a moment of human empowerment if used correctly. And that's one of my missions with um, when, when I go into a company is, in fact, one of the, the things I, and the agreements that most companies make with me is that they do not fire a single person because of what we've been training on AI. And they make that commitment. It's not legally bounding. Uh, but at this point in dozens and dozens of companies, they've all hired people at this point to utilize AI and to train their staff even better beyond our training. Brian, thank you very much for part one of our interview with Brian Romley around ChatGPT, generative AI and AI in general. Be sure to catch our second part of this interview, the next podcast on Banking Transform. Thanks for listening to Bank It Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please take some time to give our show a positive review. 
Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leigh Hassage, audio engineer, Chris Fafalius, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, understanding the potential of generative AI is a key to redefining what's possible in the future. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.